The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Thanks for being here. Once again, if you haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you would, grab a Bible. There should be some on the rows and the seatbacks and go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be hanging out this morning just for a few minutes. Uh, my goal really is, is not going to be full kind of sermon, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I really, I just have bullet points, so it's really not. It's just going to be kind of to get us into a time of prayer together. Um, but what I want to do more than anything else is just kind of set us up into the new year and into 2024. But before we get there, I just want to talk a little bit about what we've seen God do in our church over the past year. Uh, So this is December 31st. We are about 14 hours or so away from the new year. It's my favorite holiday is today, New Year's Eve. It's my favorite. I'm going to go to Chili's Bar and Grill later. And for the 12th straight year in a row, it's going to be fantastic. So excited for that. Um, I was telling somebody before the gathering, it gets worse every year, but I just can't stop now. Um, so here we are. Um, but a couple of just things that we've seen the Lord do. If you're new, if you're new to our community, uh, feel free to just celebrate with us. But if, if you call Citizens Home, there's just some of the things we're celebrating the Lord do over the past year. Uh, first is we spent our entire full year, our first full year here at the Dowd YMCA. Uh, in April, we moved our offices from the ministry center to the fourth floor, and we further deepened our partnership with the Y and really enjoyed getting to be here in this space. I praise the Lord every Sunday at 5 p.m. when I'm sitting on my couch instead of getting ready to do a gathering. Um, it's wonderful. Uh, we preached through seven different sermon series. Just by way of recap, we did a vision series to start the year on being a Jesus-centered family on mission with him. We did a few weeks on sanctification from Colossians 3, if you remember, talking about how we grow, putting sin to death and putting on the armor of God. We talked about uh, Ecclesiastes, the good life. If you remember, we were just sad all summer talking about how life is meaningless and we're all going to die. We went from that into the Apostles' Creed, the kind of core tenets of our faith, where we spent 11 weeks just dissecting what are these kind of core doctrines the church has believed for thousands of years. And then we spent time in Revelation with that fantastic video that we did, Letters, Lampstands, and the Lamb, talking about seven ancient churches and these warning signs for us of what it can look like for us to lose our first love and following after Jesus. And then we wrapped it up the past few weeks talking about the gifts of Christmas. What do gold, frankincense, and myrrh have to say about the birth of Christ and who the Lord is? Other things we've seen the Lord do, our City Kids ministry has doubled in size. We started the year with 11, and up until yesterday, I was going to say that we were one shy of double, but then Calvin Swift made his appearance into the world, and so we are officially at 22 kids in our kids' ministry uh, today, and we're just praising the Lord for the gift of new life and more uh, little wonderful babies on the way. Uh, We baptized eight individuals um, who shared their stories and went public with their faith in that wonderful pool downstairs. Uh, We're just so grateful uh, for the stories of Kay and Megan and Kevin and Brian and Brad and Emma and Jen and Jules and what the Lord's done in their lives. Uh, We grew to over 100 members for the first time in the life of our church. God is growing our our church family numerically. And then uh, we grew in generosity. Our giving as a church increased by a little over 25%, which is a huge deal for us that we are Um, saying with our finances that we want to give to God what is already his and lay more on our on the line for our lives and so just grateful for what the the Lord has done so we're celebrating you can clap for those things that God has done man so excited 
to celebrate that. But what I want to do today is just kind of center us around uh, Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47. I didn't know this when this was the plan, but I preached from the same passage this time last year, and so we're just going to keep going back to it, maybe every um, close of the year. But this passage should not be unfamiliar to you if you've spent any time around our church. We have preached on it several times. We talk about it in Citizens Basics, which is our first step for new visitors. We talk about it at membership class. We talk about it in CG leadership meetings all of the time. And what Acts 2:42 through 47 is, is this first picture of what the first Christians do. Right? So if you track the story of the New Testament up until this point, Jesus was born. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He lives the perfect life, and he dies a sinner's death on the cross. He goes to the grave. Three days later, he gets up, rises again. He spends 40 days appearing to about 500 different individuals. Acts 1 says, preaching the kingdom of God. That's what he does for those 40 days. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit comes. The gospel takes off like wildfire. Peter stands up, preaches a sermon in Jerusalem. 5,000 people get saved. That's what you get in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. 5,000 people in an instant put their faith in Jesus. And then Acts 2, 42 through 47 is Luke's summary of what the early church looked like. What did they do now with this new identity in Christ Jesus? And this is what he says. I'm going to read it and then just pull some things out for us. He says this, And they, Acts 2.42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and the prayers, and awe, fear, astonishment came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What I want to pull out of this passage for just a few minutes is um, some guiding, I don't have a good word for it, values, principles, kind of heart-level desires that we have for this church community. And these are not new to us. These are not like new things that we're striving for. I really just want to seek to name some things that I think the Holy Spirit is already doing in our midst, some things that we've seen and some ways that we've kind of shaped our church community and our family, some heart-level desires that we have for what we want to be as a people. And if you've taken membership class over the past six months, this is not going to be new because we've started talking about it in there. But I just want to give some language to what we feel like the Lord is doing and what we kind of want to revolve our church around in regards to, again, these kind of core values, core principles. And I've become more convinced over this than ever over the past year that what we're doing here is just completely contrary to what is happening outside of here. What I mean by that is how different and contrasted the way of Jesus is from the way of the world. I just, I can't, it just seems like every month I'm just getting more convinced that what we are striving after and trying to revolve our lives around and do as a community is just constantly going to push up against everything else around us that tells us a certain way to live or be or believe. And so what we have to do is root ourselves in, why are we actually doing this stuff? What are we actually going for? And who do we actually want to be 
and why. And so I just want to name some things that I feel like the Lord is doing in our community that I really want us to be praying for, desiring, going after both in our lives and in our church family. They're in alliteration. I apologize. Number one, first value, principle, desire, whatever you want to name it, is power. Power. Look back at Acts 2, 42 and 43. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, that word in the Greek there is the same word where we get our modern day phobia, like fear, uh, magnificence, just they're struck. Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs, that's the Bible's language for the Holy Spirit's doing a bunch of stuff, <laughs> were being done through the apostles. So one of the threads you get up until this point in the story is the promising and sending of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he promises, wait in Jerusalem, pray, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who will fill you, and then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, this is what he promises, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In the beginning of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, here's what you read. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, regardless of where you kind of land on spiritual gifts and all that kind of stuff, this verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says is true now into the future for all who trust in Jesus. That when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus now lives in you in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so one of our desires as a church that we've been leaning into more and more is that we would be a Holy Spirit-filled church. Not that we need him to fill us, because he already has if you believe in Jesus, but we want to live in line with that reality. And what that means is we want our church to be inexplainable except as a move of God. What we want for our church is to be able on December 31st, 2024, to look back and go, here's marked moments in the life of our community that are not possible unless God is doing something that are not possible unless he's moving in our midst, that are not possible unless he in power is filling us and then using us in all the different ways he's gifted us to make his glory more and more known. That's our desire, that's our heart, is that we would be a church, not simply of word, as Paul says, but of power. That we'd be marked by something different. That when we're interacting in our community groups and we're interacting with one another over lunch or coffee, when we're gathering together on Sunday mornings, that we're not just going through the religious motions, but that Jesus is meeting us and working in and through us to glorify God. This is Francis Schaeffer. He was a theologian in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he, he says this, and I think it's helpful. He says, the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism, that's kind of his words for the left or the right, nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surround us. He's just naming what's going on in the culture in this time of the 60s and 70s. Nor, I would add today, postmodernism or materialistic consumerism or visceral sensualism or whatever. So he's like, okay, the problem is not out there. This is what he says. 
All these are dangerous, but they're not the primary threat. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the Spirit. We want to be a church not living in the power of the flesh, but the power of the Spirit. That we would be able to look back on our lives and go, but by the power of God, this doesn't change. Like, what if this was the year that the Holy Spirit shows up in your life in power such that you are different in 365 days than you are today? Like, what if, what if this was the year the addiction is broken? Like, what if this was the year the marriage is healed? What if this was the year the coworker you've been praying for and sharing the gospel with and loving and serving becomes a Christian? Do you believe that? Do you desire that? Do you want that at the core of your being? And so we're going to lean into this desire for power. The Holy Spirit would work in us. One of the questions we asked um, this past summer that I thought was really helpful, I think Garrison asked it, good job Garrison, is he said this, he said, if God answered every prayer you prayed for yourself or for our church, what would be different? And I want the answer, church, at the end of 2024 to be everything. Everything was different because I sought the Lord because I knew only by his power will I change and will he be glorified in my life. Second thing we want to see it's presence. Second thing we're desiring, going for, praying for, valuing. I'd really need to decide what word we want to use. Is presence. Look at verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You're going to see this show up again in Acts 4, which is the other picture we get of the early church's life and rhythms. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it for you. Acts 4.33. It says, And there with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So in these two pictures we get of the early church, Acts 2 and Acts 4, there's this sense in which what is mine does not belong to me. It belongs first to God and then to the community, such that no one in our family is in need. And so what we're praying for and desiring, and what that means for us is that we would show up in the lives of one another in the everyday stuff. We would show up in presence, that we would realize, as we talk about often, that we are embodied beings meant to actually be face-to-face -face interacting with one another, right? That we would show up for one another in presence. When life hits the fan, when everything goes south in March or in June or whenever it's going to happen in your life or in the life of someone else, we would be a community who show up for one another such that none have need, physical need, material need, spiritual need emotional needs, so that no one in our community would say, man, I just wish I had someone to listen to me and talk to me. That's an emotional need. We want to show up in presence such that none is in need. You see that? Showing up for one another, committing to one another. Very simple, very practical. This means committing to groups and committing to gatherings, to showing up, to making it a priority, to being present in the lives of one another. Just give you a challenge if you need something tangible with this. Let me encourage you. What does it look like for you this year to be present in the life of someone in our church community who you don't currently know right now? Because maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to show up for this person in my group or that person that I know or this person who's my friend. What would it look like for you to show up this year for someone you don't yet know? Someone who's a part of our church community that you've not yet 
met. Third thing is practice. Practice. I'm going to be marked by power, presence. Third is practice. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's kind of two rhythms that verse 46 is pointing to in the life of the church. They're attending the temple together. That is, they're gathering for corporate worship. They're coming together to sing and to worship and to pray. And then they're breaking bread in their homes. They're scattering out into their everyday lives, walking in close community. And what it's pointing to is that this faith that they've just received in Christ Jesus in verse 41, that they're saved, they're baptized, they're added into the faith community, is now making its way into their everyday life. They're actually putting their faith out of their heads and into their lives. They're living out what James 2 says, right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. James says the one who hears the word but doesn't do the word is like the one who looks in the mirror and then immediately walks away and forgets what he looked like. We get in God's word in the morning and we read it and we're convicted by it and then we walk away and we forget everything we just read. We don't put it into practice. The words of Jesus in Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I'm going to build our house on the rock of Jesus, not on the shifting sands, not on the, the fragile foundation. Yet Jesus says the way you build your house on the rock is to do the words, he says. This is Dallas Willard. You've probably heard this quote before if you've been around at all. He says this. He says, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Care deeply about our faith, not just living in our heads, but actually making its way into our hearts and then out into our lives. And so we're going to triple down on that more as a church. We're going to help you do this through more and more practice guides. We've got practice guides coming with almost every series to just get what we're talking about on Sundays and talking about in groups actually into the lived reality of our lives. Then lastly, number four, we'll move into prayer is patience. Patience. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. As the early church is being faithful to just walk out these lived practices, these lived realities, life together, desiring to see the Holy Spirit move, it says the Lord is the one who brings the increase. The Lord is the one who brings the fruit. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. We want to be more committed than ever to what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's just one step of obedience over time in the same direction, such that we look more like Christ two decades from now than we do today. This is Bill Hull. He says it this way. This is a very common question to any plan for spiritual formation among church members is, quote, how can we speed this up? The consumer culture in which we live is a world of consumption, assertiveness, speed, and fame. Impatience is the most accepted sin in Western culture. The problem with impatience is that it short-circuits the forming of Christ in persons. With a consumer mentality, there's no basis to enter into a life of submission and humility. They begin to believe that if they can get a handle on this character flaw of uncontrolled anger in the next two months, it will be taken care of. 
If it doesn't work, then they need to find a better teacher, church, curriculum, husband, wife, or workplace, because changing my circumstances will change me. It's very easy to be impatient. There are heart-level desires that I have for this community that I wish would happen yesterday, <laughs> a year ago, six months ago, two years ago. Like There's stuff I'm, I'm praying for and longing for in my own life that I wish the Lord would have figured out five years ago for me. <laughs> Yet the invitation is back to patience, to slowness, to trusting him in a life of submission and humility. We've said this from the very beginning. If you were around in those early uh, core team meetings four years ago now, that we wanted to be a church for the long haul, not a flash in the pan. And that takes time. We want to build something that's going to outlast all of us in the room. And I hope to live for a pretty long time. That'd be nice. We want to build something that lasts beyond us, that our grandkids and our great-grandkids, Lord willing, will be able to come and worship at this little church called Citizens Church, hopefully in our own building by then. Please, Lord, make it happen. This is William James. He was a psychologist in the late 1800s. He, uh, if you have had any experience with counseling or therapy, you've been impacted by the thoughts of William James. He's just the father of modern psychology, considered by many, and he, he says this, and I think it's so helpful. He says, the great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts it. That's my heart for our church. That's the way I'm trying to pastor. That's the way Garrison's trying to pastor. That's the way our team is trying to lead. And that's the way I want us to think as a community that every decision we're making, every seed that we're sowing into the life of someone else, into our church, every financial gift that we give, every Sunday we show up way too early to serve, every time we pray for someone or care for someone, that we are giving our lives away for Lord willing something that outlasts it. First, this church community, hopefully that will still be around, but then even more so something that will outlast it, the kingdom of God, which goes into eternity. We're sowing for something bigger than ourselves. So we want to be patient, patient with the Lord. He works much more slowly than we ever realized. This is a, a giveaway for my sermon two weeks from now, but I've been thinking a lot about the life of Moses lately and how slow the Lord works in the life of Moses. Moses is in Egypt for 40 years before he realizes the ways that the Egyptians are mistreating the Israelites and he kills the Egyptians. For 40 years before he even really shows up in the story. And then he flees to Midian. You know the story of Moses. He flees to Midian. And in the Bible, it reads one verse. He goes to Midian. He gets married. He has some kids. And then the Lord shows up in a burning bush. It's like boom, 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 boom. Do you know how long it takes from him fleeing to Midian to the Lord showing up in the burning bush? It tells us in Acts. 40 years. He's 80 before the Lord shows up in a burning bush calling him to go talk to Pharaoh about letting his people go. He's 40 before he even kind of gets on the scene in any like helpful way. Well, not really helpful. He does murder a guy. But in any sort of like meaningful part of the narrative, it's 40 years. That's older than I, like I haven't even gotten to the point where Moses really shows up in the narrative yet in my life. The Lord's slow. And here's the unfortunate thing for us and myself, who's very impatient. He's way slower than we even think he is. 80 years, 40 years, he's in Midian. It's like, what is he doing? He's just being married, having some kids, and being a shepherd. Just hanging out. 40 years. And finally, the Lord shows up, and it's like, all right, here's what I have for you. Listen to me. Here's my presence. All right, you can take Aaron. That's fine. Go to Pharaoh. Patience with the Lord. Patience with ourselves. Patience with each other. So what I want to do is just give us some time to pray. 
Uh, If you are uh, new, if you're not a part of our church community, welcome, hop in with us, because this is going to be a family practice, and you're a part of the family today. So what we're going to do is we're just going to group up into groups, uh, you know, anywhere from like four, I wouldn't go much bigger than six, seven, eight, uh, probably not bigger than eight, but you got some prayer prompts on your seat. I apologize that those are cut very crooked. I did them myself, but what we're going to do is we're just going to pray and ask the Lord to move in these ways these prompts. And I've cut them out for you so you can take them. You can put them in your Bible, put it in your little phone wallet thing, and just reminders throughout the year of what we're praying for as a community. And there's this, four things. Number one, pray for God to move in power among us, that we would see spiritual fruit in our lives and church that could only come from him. Number two, pray that God would help us be present to one another this year, sacrificing and showing up with our time, talent, and treasures to care for and serve one another. Number three, pray that we would be a church who does not simply hear the word, but also does what it says, seeking to put our faith into practice in our everyday lives. Lastly, pray that we would have Holy Spirit-given patience as a church family, to be gracious and merciful towards ourselves and others, trusting God's timing in our lives and our community.